We're taking our legacy to a whole nother level. Somebody say it with me, whole nother level. Kicking off a new series today that I'm really excited about. I hope you are. Well, we're just gonna we're gonna celebrate the legacy that has been laid for us in, quite frankly, the 99-year history of this church. I don't know if you know it, but 100-year anniversary is coming up in 2018. So 99 years of history in this place, and certainly the last 27 years as Pastor Farrell and Miss Millie has led this church to great places. We're going to celebrate that. We're going to lean into it a little bit. But i got to be honest with you up front, when I first started talking and thinking about, praying about what would be my first series as I lead you as the interim senior pastor, uh, this is immediately what came to mind. But, but i got a history with the word inheritance that's not a good history. The, the first, uh, uh, I guess it was the second church that Kim and I served many years ago, was a small church. Uh, sanctuary would seat about 125 people. It was a center aisle. And I walked out one Sunday morning and realized that I was preaching to two churches in the same building, that, that, uh, that there was a group of people on the right side, a group of people on the left side, and they wouldn't have anything to do with each other. What had developed over the months leading up to that moment was the reality that there was a family in the church with 12 brothers and sisters all of whom were fighting for the inheritance that was coming. Dad had already passed. Mom was, was probably within a couple of years of passing. And they're fighting over the inheritance. And there were two brothers that kind of personified that fight. And both of them were deacons in our church. And so over time, people started to take this deacon side and others started taking that deacon side until one Sunday morning I walked out and I got two churches in the same building. How many of you know that church was not healthy? How many of you know we did not make a difference in that community during that season? It's just, so when I start thinking about inheritance, I, you know, my sphincter draws up. Can I say that in churches? Can you say that in churches? I said, heebie-jeebies, I can't even say it. Heebie-jeebies in first service. Is that better? So forget, add that first part out and we'll do heebie-jeebies, okay? Actually, I'm excited about this series because I know something about this church family. I've been around long enough, last five, six years, I've been involved with the bridge, last couple of years, working with you on staff in various capacities, and here's what I know about this church family. We ain't going to fight over our inheritance. I got one amen. We are not going to fight over our inheritance. Come on. You, you, know what, you know what happens. Can we just be honest, right, transparent, right up front about this thing? I'm a church consultant. I've done this kind of stuff all over the country and in other countries. And here's what happens. When a pastor has been in place for 20, 25, 27 years, the church almost invariably, 90 plus percent of the time, the church goes down when he leaves. That's what happens. The first pastor that follows him, they even have a name for it. We call him the sacrificial lamb. So I guess I'm the sacrificial lamb. Hey, let's neg- hey, Pastor Sacrificial Lamb. Oh, you can call me that if you want to. I guess it's all right. Or you can call me your holiness, whichever you prefer. <laughs> but it ain't going to happen to us. Come on. It ain't going to happen to us. Say it with me. It ain't going to happen to us. Look at somebody and say, it ain't going to happen to us. Because we are not going to fight over who gets to be in charge. Hello. <laughs> We're not going to fight over I like the way Farrell did it better than the way Jim's doing it. Come on. Are you with me? We're not going to start comparing, well, I like this part, I like that part, I don't like that part, I like that. We're not going to do that. 
We are not going down. We go into the next level. We go into a whole nother level for the cause of Jesus Christ. Come on. But here's what else is not going to happen. We're not going to consume the inheritance that we've been given. We're not just going to say, you know, church is big, church is strong. We're just going to rest for a while. We ain't going to do that either. We are not going to fight over it. We are not going to consume it. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to invest it for the sake of the next generation. Come on. We're going to invest it for the sake of the next generation. So, so because here's the truth that you need to understand. Uh, and it's true in the natural family. It's true in a spiritual family. Two key quotes. Let's put them up on the screen so we can see them. Number one, an inheritance comes at the sacrifice of one generation for the benefit of the next generation. Does that make sense? An inheritance comes at the sacrifice of one generation for the benefit of the next generation. That therefore follows to the second quote, which is any generation that is unwilling to sacrifice reduces the inheritance of the next. Let me say that again. Any generation that's unwilling to sacrifice thereby reduces the inheritance of the next. True? Not true. Can I tell you that I didn't really understand that that sacrifice is not a burden at all until my mother passed away this year. I lost mom in September. She was 87, uh, lived a wonderful, godly life. On Wednesday night, uh, back in August 20th, 30th, I guess it was, she told the lady that gave her a ride to church, she said, the Lord's going to heal me tonight. They went to church and brought her home from church. She dressed for bed, sat down on the couch for a few minutes, and woke up in heaven. God healed her that night. That's part of my legacy. I'm so incredibly blessed by that legacy. But here's what mom used to love to say. Mom was not a wealthy person. She wasn't an educated person. She quit school in the eighth grade to go to work in the cotton mill because the family needed her to work. We're from Bladenboro, Bladen County. And the cotton mills what defined the economy of that area. And so she went to work. She finally went back to school in her 50s and got her GED. She was so proud of that, and we were so proud of her. But she never had a lot, lived on a farm all her life. But she used to say to, <clears throat> to my brother and my sister, and I on a regular basis, every time she got a chance, she said, now you know, <coughs> I've saved $30,000, and that's for you kids. And I used to think I was being a loving son and an unselfish son when I would say, oh, Mom, spend that money on yourself. Come on, go to the Holy Land, go on vacation, enjoy that money. And she would say, no, 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 that's for you kids. And when she passed... Sandra and Steve and I got our $10,000 apiece. You know what I did first? Well, first I tithed, of course. You know what I did next? Well, I bought a gun and some fun stuff. But you know what I did next? <laughs> I set up a college fund for my grandkids. Why? Because I came to understand it is not a sacrifice when you do it for the sake of the coming generation. And so we're going to invest this legacy. We're going to invest in this legacy. Will there be some sacrifice involved? Yeah, but it won't feel like a burden because we will know that we're doing it for the sake of the next generation. Which of those three things, quite frankly, the tithe, the gun, or my grandkids' college fund, do you think I'm getting the most joy out of? Knowing that my grandkids have a shot at going to school. Well, maybe the gun is fun, but... You get my drift, right? And that's why for the first few weeks as your lead pastor, that's what we're going to do. We're going to celebrate the legacy that we've received. We'll be looking at different aspects of the legacy every week for the next five weeks. 
Uh, next weekend is 4th of July weekend. It's actually July 2nd. And we're going to celebrate our legacy as Christian Americans. You know that's not a contradictory term, though some people would have you believe it is. We're going to celebrate that next week. And then we're going to look at different aspects of the legacy of our church and how we're, we're blessed by it. We're going to learn how we can benefit from it. But most importantly, we're going to see what we can do to take this legacy to a whole nother level. I'll get it down. I'll get it right. I promise. I'll get it down. Okay. <laughs> if you want a manuscript of the messages, go to info at bridgechurch.cc. We'd be glad to send you a manuscript of any of these messages. And if you want to follow along today, you've got your smartphone or iPad or something with you, go to the Bible app, go to events, click on, uh, on the Princeton campus of the bridge and all of the scriptures, all of the points that I'm sharing with you today are going to be there. You can take your own notes. You can save that at the end for your own study later. So take advantage of that opportunity and follow along with me this morning. If you're going to tweet anything, Facebook anything, use hashtag LegacyHNL, okay? Now, before we get into the specifics of uh, of the inheritance and of the legacy, there is a question that we need to settle, and that's really what I want to focus on today, is a simple question that has to be settled. Here it is. You ready? Okay, one person's ready. The rest of you Do I need to explain that some more before we get into it? You ready? Okay, you got it. Okay, good. You, you guys got to know I need feedback or I won't know whether you're fo following me or not, okay? All right, here we go. Who gets an inheritance? Sons, daughters, heirs right? So in order to get an inheritance, you have to position yourself as an heir. Does that make sense? Simple, isn't it? If we're going to benefit from and invest in the inheritance, we first have to see ourselves as sons, as daughters, as heirs. Here's how Paul put it in Galatians 4, verses 4 through 7. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because we are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. Stop right there. I want you to make sure you're tracking with me. What's happened is the Father uh, has sent the Son, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, he's quickened our hearts to know that we need to receive what Jesus did for us on Calvary, and we say yes to him. And in the process of that, we become not just part of God's creation, we become one of God's children. We become one of his sons and daughters. And I'm not going to say sons and daughters every time, so ladies, don't get offended, okay? It's not a gender-specific thing. Quite honestly, if you can call me the bride of Christ, I can call you a son of God, okay? Fair enough? All right. So you become a son. You become an heir. That's what he says. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an Heir. Now, there's another element to that. When Paul wrote to the church at Rome in Romans chapter 8, verse 15, he said, The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. For those of you that don't know, perhaps that word Abba is from the Aramaic, and it's the most intimate form of Father. The it, it, best translation we have in English is Daddy. So we're not just adopted into the family in a formal kind of way. We actually enter into a relationship with God the Father. That's an intimate one. We crawl up in his lap and let him love us. He's daddy. But here's the contrast I want you to see from Galatians 4 and Romans 8, because we're going to unpack. That's what we're going to focus on today. 
is that there are two options available to you. You can either be a slave to fear or you can be a son and an heir. Do you see that? You, you, got, a, you got a choice. Those are two very clear uh, contrasts in Scripture, and you have to make a decision. If you're going to inherit the inheritance, if you're going to share in the legacy, if you're going to be an heir, then you have to give up the slavery to fear and adopt this idea of I am a son, okay, I am a daughter of God. Now, that may not sound like all that big a deal to you, but guys, it's huge. It's huge. What I'm saying to you is you've got to stop thinking of God as the cosmic killjoy out to get you. You've got to stop thinking of God as the guy with the lightning bolts who, as soon as you do something says, well, shazam, I didn't know you were going to do that. I guess i got to zap you now. That's not who he is. He's not the unpleasable parent. Nothing you can do is ever good enough. He is the loving heavenly father, daddy, who wants a relationship with you, has made everything possible and available to you so you can. All you have to do is accept it. And when you do, you become an heir. You get a rich inheritance for you, for your brothers and your sisters. Hear me, guys. When you give your life to Jesus Christ, you are no longer a slave to fear. I got an amen over here and I got a head nod over there. When you give your life to Jesus Christ, you become a son, a daughter, an heir. You are no longer a slave to fear, so quit being a slave to fear. Thank you. (laughs) It's, It's amazing to me. There are millions of people all across this land who go to church every Sunday. And they sit through services and, 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 and they give and they serve and they even invite people to church. But they're scared to death of, their, of what's going to happen next every day of their lives. And Jesus said, you don't have to live in fear anymore. You're not a slave to fear now. You're a son. You're a daughter. You have an inheritance. You have a daddy. Hear me, guys. When you finally get that and it finally registers in your spirit and you make this mental shift, something amazing begins to happen. But, but wait, well, Pastor Jim, you, you, don't, you, don't, you don't know who I am, and you, you don't know where I've been, and you don't know how far I've gone, and you don't know how long it's been. And, and, and my answer to that is, you're right, I don't. But it doesn't matter. Because when you give your life to Jesus Christ, here's what Paul said to the church at Corinth, if anyone belongs to Christ, there is a new creation. The old things have gone. Everything is made new. Now, here's what I got to ask. If you really, I mean, really adopted that, if you really embraced that, and every time fear began to rise up and you find yourself pulling back because of fear, if you reminded yourself in that moment that that Satan is the author of that fear, God is not the author of fear, he didn't give us a spirit of fear, he gave us a a spirit of love and, and a power and of a sound mind, I am a son, I'm a daughter, I'm an heir, if you challenged that thought every time it came up, would it make a difference in your life? Would it make a difference in your marriage, your family? You think if we together really got that I mean got that not just here but here actually got you think it would make a difference in this church do you think this church would make a difference in Wayne and Johnston counties and beyond the truth is it the possibilities haven't entered our minds until we finally get it I am a son of God I am a daughter of God I am an 
heir to the great inheritance that he's given us. I can be free from the hurts and the habits and the hang-ups that have been holding me back long enough. I can be free from the, the fears that have been holding me down long enough. I can walk in my inheritance because of who I am in Jesus Christ. I am an owner in the family business, God and Sons Incorporated. And I can start acting like an owner. Got it? So my goal through this whole series is that we get it. That's my goal for this series, is that we would just lean into this simple and yet profound truth that we would understand more about the legacy that we have received, not just through Christ, but because we're part of this great church, that we would commit to the family business, function like owners in the family business, and then that we would unite for the sake of the thousands upon thousands of people around us who desperately need Jesus. And I'll just say right quick, if the bridge is your home, if this is the, the local franchise of the family business God's called you to, get in. Get in. Roll up your sleeves and be a part of it. Become an owner. In fact, we've got a class coming up July 30th. You can, right now, you can text ownership to 72345, and, and we'll get in touch with you, give you the details. We're actually going to offer the ownership class during Sunday morning services. You don't even have to come out for another time. You can worship in one hour and take the class in another, but get in, be a part of it. And frankly, if you've been here a long time and it's been a while since you've done the ownership class, I would encourage you to do it again just as a fresh start, a new beginning as we enter into this new season in the life of our church. And if this isn't it, then go find a God-honoring, Jesus-centered, Bible-teaching church and get in there because we're all in this together for the cause of Christ. What I want to do in the few minutes I've got left is I really just want to help you evaluate. I want to, I want to help you take a look at yourself and ask yourself the question, am I functioning as a slave to fear or as a son with an inheritance? There are four contrasts that I see in Scripture that will help us to kind of evaluate uh, our mindset. And again, it's a, it's a mental mindset. It's a spiritual truth that has to get into our hearts. Uh, you may be acting exactly the same way as somebody else, but there may be a totally different motive and a totally different thing going on in the inside. So I want you to ask yourself the question, am I living as a slave to fear or am I living as a son with an inheritance. And if I'm living as a son, then how am I investing that inheritance for the generations to come? Let's just spend a few minutes. Let's unpack these four simple contrasts. You ask the Lord to help you see where you stand in all of this. Okay, you ready to get into it? Because you know I'm going to explain it some more if you didn't say yes, right? We'll be here all afternoon. Okay, let's get into it. Number one, sons serve as owners in the family business. Slaves to fear serve as hired hands. In other words, serve, uh, sons serve, but they serve like their owners in the family business. Slaves to fear serve, but they serve like, like hired hands. You know the difference, right? If you've ever run a business, been a manager in a business, uh, you know exactly. You can tell the difference between an employee who's invested in the business and an employee who, who can't wait for hump day, can't wait for TGIF, uh, you know, how much you're paying me this week, what's the least I can do for the most benefit I can get. I mean, that's a hired hand kind of mentality, right? But when somebody understands that they are profit sharing, they, they have ownership in the business, there's a totally different way they serve. Now, I didn't say whether they serve. 
I'm going to throw this for free. You don't have to put any extra in the offering, uh, but I want you to get this. Uh, a non-serving Christian is a contradiction in terms. At one point, Jesus, with his disciples, said, all authority is given me in heaven and in earth. Do you know what the next thing he did was? Wrapped a towel around his waist and washed their feet. A non-serving Christian is a contradiction in terms. So I'm not suggesting for a moment that you do serve or don't serve. I'm talking about why you serve. Larry Stockstill, pastor of Bethany World Prayer Center in Baton Rouge says it this way, hired hands work for sundown and a paycheck. Owners work for the success of the business because they know they're going to inherit it one day. Hired hands serve, but it's from a mentality, what's the least effort I can give for the most gain, whereas owners simply say, what needs to be done? Okay, let's get this thing done. Jesus put it in terms of taking care of the flock. In John chapter 10, verses 11 and 12, he said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep, for he sees the wolf coming. He abandons the sheep and runs away. And the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. You see the contrast there between an owner, a shepherd, and a hired hand? Can I tell you that's one of the things that that Kim and I love about the bridge and have uh, in all the last several years that we've been involved with the church on different levels, it's, it's that, that, that this place has a, uh, just a culture of service. It's just what this place is. Last time I checked, there are nearly 1,000 people serving in some capacity in this church on a regular basis. That's amazing. It takes about 200 people now just to pull off weekend services in our three campuses. It's just phenomenal what God is doing. And I'll just tell you now, I don't know a single one of them that serves from the attitude, i got to do what? They're going to make me do what? Maybe that's because I don't know everybody yet. (laughs) But if you are thinking that way, then you have to be realistic and say to yourself, I'm functioning like a slave to fear. I'm not functioning like a son. I'm not functioning like I'm working for an inheritance. And slave, because slaves to fear think if I put my whole heart into serving, I'm afraid there won't be enough left for my needs. Whereas owners know it is in serving that I am served. It is in investing in the family business that my inheritance increases. Sons serve as owners Slave serves as hired hands. The second contrast that I see in Scripture are sons think in family terms, whereas slaves to fear think in individual terms. Sons think about the family and, and the generations of the family. Slaves to fear think about me. They think about my needs. Psalm 127, verses 1, 3, and 4. Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders do what? What does it say? They labor in vain. They're wasting their time. Children are a heritage from the Lord, he says. Offspring of reward from him like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth. I told you last year that that word house in the original Hebrew is the word baeth. And baeth literally means the generations that make up a household. We sang this morning about 
the great I am. What a powerful song and what a powerful truth that he is ever present in whatever's going on in your life. But many times God identified himself as I am. He went on to say, I am the God of your father and of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob. Why did he identify himself that way? Because God always thinks in multi-generational terms. He always thinks of himself across the generations. And that's what owners do. That's what sons and inheritors do is they think across generational lines. And so what this says to me is unless we invest in the generations, every generation that's reflected in our church and certainly the generations that are coming along, unless we build the generations, we're wasting our time. How do you... How do you think Farrell and Millie will feel in a year or two or five if the Lord tarries and they watch what they invested their lives to build crumble? How do you think they'd feel? They would know that's not what we invested in. Can I tell you guys that Farrell and Millie's legacy is not the big buildings that we have? Not that we're the largest church in the region. That's not their legacy. Their, their legacy has nothing to do with any of that kind of stuff. You know what their legacy is? Their legacy is Andy and Andrew and Andrea and Ashley and, and, and Alicia and Adam and Curry and, uh, and Katie and Gage and Jared and Joey and Jim and Jimmy and, and Jared and Jamie and Jamie and Jamie and Jamie and some of those are girls and some of those are boys, I'm learning, and Josh and Justin and, and I could go on, but you get the point. It's all about the generations that have come up. And we're going to celebrate that during this series. Uh, our bridge kids are going to come on stage and join us in worship one Sunday during this series. It's going to be awesome to see the generations here. Do, do, do you understand that the reason Pastor Farrell was able to step away when he did was not because he doesn't love us. It's because he came to the conclusion that it was in the best interest of the family that he do that. And Farrell wasn't working for him he was working for him, and he was able to do it. When Kim and I left Community Church in Chesapeake after starting the church and led it for 25 years, uh, people said to me, Jim, I must be really hard to leave. And I said, well, you know, it's hard to leave friends. It's hard to leave family. We left two sons and four grandkids in Virginia. Yeah, it can be hard to leave, but let me tell you, when I see how well the church is doing since we left, I'm disgusted. I mean, no, I mean, I mean I'm, I'm just as proud of, of leaving when I did as I was of being there when I was there. Why? Because I think multi-generationally, and that's what Farrell does, and that's what we've got to do as we look down the road, not just about me. That's what, what fear, uh, slaves to fear do. We think like sons, like daughters, like heirs. We're thinking across the generations, and we're sacrificing for the sake of the generation that is coming. So until you get that, you're going to catch yourself saying, what have they done for me lately? And so what about me? What about my needs? And when you do that, please understand you're thinking like a slave to fear, not a son or an heir. You need to take those thoughts captive. The third contrast I see in Scripture, our sons serve the family vision. Slaves to fear use the family for their vision. You see the distinction there? It's amazing to me as the church gets larger how many politicians start attending at election time. Why? Because a lot of votes sitting in them chairs, that's why. 
I even had a guy come to me one time several years ago who was with Amway. Got nothing against Amway, but he came to me one day and he said, you know what, Pastor Jim, if, you, if you'll give me the church database and let me use your name, I'll give you all the profits from the sales. And I said, you know what, dude, uh, when people see me coming, I don't want them to think Amway. I want them to think Jesus, so I'll pass. <laughs> nothing wrong with Amway. Come on. <laughs> Not against Amway. But there is this sense in which we're not here for our vision. We're here for the family's vision. And we link arms together. Again, it's part of our legacy as a church. Think about, we celebrated last week some of the people that have been here. The whole 27 years that Farrell was, was pastor. Think about the changes those people had to endure over the years. Moving locations, changing worship styles, changing structures and systems, having access to feral in those early days. You could just go sit down with him, spend an hour if you wanted to, and then it took a month to get an appointment, and then you couldn't get one unless you were dying. I mean, feral came in for last rites. I mean, that was it, you know. That's just the reality of change when you reach a community for Christ, and people endured that change. Why? Because they weren't here for their own vision. They were here for God's vision. And feral had this amazing ability, still does, of being able to see and help us see what God could see was coming. He had this capacity to see what could be and even what God says should be and will be and help us buy into it. And the sons and daughters in this house through the years have linked their arms to make that become reality. And that's why this church of 15, 16, 1,700 every weekend, 2,500 in the family out in the middle of a hog pasture exists because it's filled with sons and daughters, heirs who understand those dynamics working together for the vision to become reality. Solomon understood how critical that was 2,500 years ago. Here's what he said. I like the way the message paraphrases it in Proverbs 29, 18. If people can't see what God is doing, what do they do? They stumble all over themselves. Can't you see it? Well, I don't know what's coming next, so let's just, let's just keep doing stuff, right? They stumble all over themselves, but when they attend to what God reveals, they are most blessed. So what's he talking about when they attend to what God reveals? They're not talking about what we do day by day or don't do day by day. They're talking about this capacity to look down the road and understand why we exist and where we're going. Put it in modern terms, Peter Drucker, the famous business guru, said that every business needs to ask two simple questions. Uh, and number one, what business are we in? Number two, how's business? Well, churches have got to do the same thing. We've got to stop and ask ourselves, what business are we in? And then we got to ask, how's business? So what business are we in? If I ask you to take a piece of paper out right now and write down what business we're in, what would you write? No doubt some people say, well, we're in the business of singing songs and, and preaching sermons and teaching children and serving in the community. We're, we're in the business of doing that stuff. And I would say, you know, thank you, but no. Those are things we do in order to move the business forward, but that's not the business we're in. The business we're in is giving life by giving Christ. 
The business we're in is creating environments where you can belong before you believe. We will accept you. We're not concerned with where you've come or how far you've come. We're just concerned with the direction of your feet from this point forward. Creating those kinds of environments, that's the business we're in. But still, we have to stop every now and then and ask ourselves the question, how's business? And here's what I know about the legacy of this church. Any time along the way that we needed to stop doing what we were doing and do something different, what did we do? We did it. We changed. Because the vision didn't change. How the vision got fulfilled had to change as time went on. Does that make sense? Is that making sense? The message doesn't change. That's God's message. Right? Where we're going doesn't change. That's the vision. That's God's vision. But what we do to share the message, what we do to accomplish the vision, has to change. I read about a company some time ago that made drill bits, and they were one of the early pioneers in the drill bit business, and they, and they actually dominated market share in the Industrial, industrial Revolution uh, until eventually they looked around and realized that they had not kept up with R&D. And other companies were making better drill bits for less money than they were, and they were losing market share. So the CEO called the company together, the board, and said, okay, guys, what we need to ask the question, what business are we in? We need to go back to, to asking that simple baseline question, what business are we in? And they immediately, in one voice, said, well, we're in the business of making drill bits. And the CEO said, ah, no. Uh, when my dad started the company, that's not what he had in mind. My dad was trying to solve a problem. Vision is a solution to a problem. And at the time, the best way to solve the problem was drill bits. The problem was people need to put holes in stuff. Right? So what's the best way to put holes in stuff today? Lasers. So they got out of the drill bit business and got into the laser business and took over market share in the laser world. Why? Because they understood what business they were in, and they were willing to ask the hard question, how's business? Now, here's the tragedy that we have to be honest about. People love change. As long as they choose the change. Am I right? We change jobs. We change cars. We change the furniture in the living room around just because we're tired of the way it's sitting, right? Churches are the exact opposite. People search forever to find a church that they like, and as soon as they like it, what do they do? They fight to make sure it never changes. They don't keep asking the question, what business are we in? How's business? In fact, that's so common that entire denominations have begun, have, have come to be known for stuff that ain't got nothing to do with the vision of going to all the world and make disciples of everybody everywhere. Is that true? How many, how many of you, you guys heard the joke, how many engineers does it take to change the light bulb? You, you've heard that, right? I got one of those for do, denominations. Uh, how many of each denomination does it take to change a light bulb? So we come from every background. Let's just have some fun with this thing, okay? How, how many of you come from a Methodist background? We got any Methodists among us? God bless you. I see those Methodists. Thank you for being here today. How many Methodists does it take to change a light bulb? 
takes 10, one to change the bulb, and nine to plan the fellowship dinner around the changing of the bulb. Because Methodists do dinners, right? Got any Episcopalians with us? Episcopals? Got any Episcopal background? We had some in first service. How, do you, how many Episcopals does it take? It takes one to change the bulb and nine to lament how much they liked the old one. Got any Presbyterian? Presbyterian backgrounds? We got some of those Presbyterians. God bless you. I see you. Okay. How many does it take, Presbyterians? One to change the bulb plus five committees to review the idea first and its feasibility, right? How many charismatics does it take to change a light bulb? Takes 10. Got some charismatic background folk, right? Takes 10. One to change the bulb and nine to come against the spirit of darkness in the house. Right? Got any Quakers here? I know we got some Quaker background folks here. How many Quakers does it take? It takes 10 to form a group and wait for the Spirit to move one of them to change the bulb. <laughs> Catholics? Somebody from a Catholic background here? Yeah, we got some Catholic background. How many Catholics does it take? None. They use candles. Got anybody from a Baptist background here? Got a Baptist background? Got a Baptist background for you? God bless that hand. I see that hand. God bless that hand. I see that hand. <laughs> Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood. I went to Baptist church for a little while. I got saved 22 times. Because it was the only way they'd end the service is if somebody went to the altar. 27 verses of Just As I Am. How, how many Baptists does it take to change light bulb? Change. <laughs> How many bridge owners does it take to change the light bulb? It takes the one who has the gift of service because everybody else is teaching kids and leading music and working in the community for cause of Christ. We're all doing what we're gifted to do. Can we celebrate the people who were gifted with the gift of service that are doing the behind the scenes stuff? Thank you guys. What, what am I saying? I'm saying, are things going to change around here in the days ahead? Yeah. Will the vision change? No. Will the message change? No. Will the way we do things in order to be effective change? Yeah. Are you going to like all the changes? No, you're not. I'm not. We're not. Uh, but hear me. When that happens, when you find yourself saying, I just... I like the way it was. Please remind yourself, slaves to fear say things like, what are they going to change next? I was more comfortable with the way things were. Sons ask questions like, what is God telling us is the next step in the vision? What can I do to move us toward God's vision for this house? Sons are owners Slaves to fear are hired hands. Sons think in family terms. Slaves to fear think in individual terms. Sons serve the family vision. Slaves use the family for their vision, their preferences. But most critical, and I'll bring this to a close, sons long for an intimate relationship with dad, whereas slaves to fear hold dad at arm's length. Remember Galatians 4, 6 that we read? 
Because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father, that Aramaic term that's the, the closest, most intimate term there is for a father. I realize I'm stretching some of your thinking this morning and some of the concepts that I'm bringing you. So, uh, so, so just hear me. If you don't hear anything else I say today, please hear these words. Please get this. God wants a personal, intimate relationship with you. He isn't concerned with your, your, your regulations or your rituals or, or your rules. He's, he's concerned with you. He isn't interested in your denominational background. He's interested in a relationship with you. Nothing wrong with any of that stuff, but at the end of the day, that's not what it's about. It's about God who made you on purpose, with a purpose, and part of that purpose was to be the recipient of his love and then to give back to him worship that brings him glory. I'm begging you, don't ever be afraid to come to him just as you no matter what you've done or you're doing, no matter how long it's been, he loves you. He wants a relationship with you. He wants intimacy with you. And so you're in a worship service and you feel this emotion rise and this desire to get close to God and, and fear says, whoa, whoa, wait a minute, you might do something silly, you might do something awkward, and you shut it down. Don't do that. Please, I beg you, don't do that. Embrace it. Come into the holiness of God because he ultimately will give you abundant life now and forever life in heaven with him. Don't be afraid to crawl up in his lap and let him love you like the daddy he is wants to i got to close, but I can't until I ask that most personal of all questions. Are you a son or a slave? Have you come to that place in your life where you've said, it's not about what church I go to and it's not about what denominational background, it's not about how many rules I keep, it's just at the end of the day, have I made that shift to embracing God I've adopted the spirit of sonship. I am a child of God. I mentioned it earlier. Everybody is created by God and becomes a part of his creation, but you're not automatically one of his children. You become his child when you accept what Jesus Christ did for you on Calvary. You become his child when you say yes to Jesus and his agenda for your life. When you say, Jesus, forgive me for pushing you away. Forgive me for allowing fear to define how I relate to you. Give me a fresh start, a new beginning. And this time, help me to function like a son, like a daughter in the family business. In Jesus' name. Keep your heads bowed. Would you bow with me and let's pray? I'm not going to keep you much longer, but I do want to give you a chance to pray with me this morning. Maybe you've prayed a prayer like this in time past and you recognize that it's gotten a little stale lately, going through the motions. Maybe you've never prayed a prayer like this before, I don't know, but I would encourage you to pray along with me. You can pray silently if you want or, or use your own words if you want, but let it go something, something like this. Father, 
Thank you for sending your son, Jesus. Jesus, thank you for paying the price for my sin. Forgive me for my sin that nailed you to the cross. Please. I'm so sorry you had to die in my place, but I'm so glad you did. Thank you. Now help me in this moment to embrace the idea that I am a son. I am a daughter of the God of the universe. I am an heir to your great riches. And I'm going to walk in that confidence going forward. In Jesus' name. Father, you know who's praying. You know what's going on in their minds right now. Bring us all to that intimate place with you, a step in your direction as a result of the service today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Guys, the Bible says that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. So I'm going to ask you to take one more step. I'm not going to embarrass you, but I'm going to ask you to take one more step. Would you let us know you just prayed that prayer? If you prayed that right now, would you let us know that? You can text New Life to 72345, or you can take that Connect card that's in front of you and, and fill it out. There's a place you can check a box. Just turn it in. The one for change ushers will be at the door as we're leaving today. Throw it in there. Or you can stop at the decision table. There'll be people back there. Or come to the front. There are people at the altar this morning. Be glad to pray with you. But let somebody know you just prayed that prayer because we want to help you on your journey to become more and more a part of the family of God. Would you stand with me this morning? I will say quickly before I let you go, we are all filling out Connect cards every Sunday during this series. There are 27,000 names in our church database right now. There are people that have passed away. There are military people that have moved away. There are people that came once and moved on. And, and, and how many of you know when you need a clean sweep and you've got that many names, the best thing to do is just start over. So please fill out a Connect card before you leave today. You can give them to the ushers at the door. You can uh, turn them into the guest services or VIP. Fill one out before you leave here today. And every week during this series, we're going to ask you, you don't have to give us the address every Sunday, but put a name on a Connect card, turn it in. We're all going to do it every week so that we can make sure that our new database, our new website, all that stuff is up to date when it comes online this summer, okay? God bless you guys. Thanks for coming. Pray with somebody before you leave. We'll see you next Sunday.